I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. It's still a relatively new year, and it's time to start thinking about retirement planning. In a recent episode, we talked about the two pieces of the pie when it comes to retiring sooner. It's beginning with the end in mind as part of this pie chart. So call that financial planning. And the other side is investing. Financial planning is not investing. Investing is not financial planning. It's two separate disciplines, if you will, two separate skills, two separate endeavors, but you need to have both. In fact, it's best, in my opinion, to have your plan first. So begin with the end in mind, have our goal for how much we need or when we want to retire. And better if you know both, how much I need, when I want to retire, the more variables you put into that, more accurate it becomes, but we got, we have to start with something. And then we have the investment side and how we're going to invest, how our money is going to start working for us once we stop collecting a paycheck. We want a perpetual paycheck from all the things that we've done and saved over the course of our lives. Today, 101 retirement tips. Actually, we can't do all 101, but I'm looking through the 101 retirement tip guide that I wrote along with our team. And I want to pull out some of my very favorites for all of us to discuss and learn about as we endeavor into 2023. And even though I wrote this and deal with a lot of these topics almost every day, I immediately had to look a couple of things up to get up to date on some of the ones I'm going to talk about today. So we forget, I do this for a living every single day of my life. So of course, if you're listening to the Retire Sooner podcast, even if you are hyper diligent about all things financial and you crafting a plan to retire early, you're going to want a refresher on many of these different subjects. Time. One, things change over time, which we'll get to in retirement tip number four. Don't make a mistake when you claim your Social Security. Things have changed since I wrote this. Number 19, consider this acronym, which is RID, R-I-D-D, which is an important reminder about having multiple and different streams of income. And number 22, how to fill your time with core pursuits. We're going to dive into that. And several other of our favorite retirement nuggets to brush up on here in 2023. Joining me, producer Mallory, welcome to the studio. Oh, thank you. So excited to be here and talk through some of my favorite things. Now, hang on. I'm going to jump in because I did notice that you did not tell people where to find this. So if anybody- How about you? I, I'm not exactly sure. Where, where do we find it? <laughs> well, that's important. So if anybody wants to go ahead and um, download and get to follow along in the guide or just go ahead and start reading through all 101 retirement tips, you can find it at wesmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Uh, we have it under the tools section. So we'd love for you to go download it and then tell us what you found particularly helpful. And if you don't want to listen to the podcast and just download- the guide, which is about 30 pages, very consumable, but you can find it. It's 101 retirement tips to help you retire even sooner. Thank you, Mallory. All right. So with that, I want to dive into this first one. And 
I'm excited about this because I think that this first one has gotten a big upgrade since we wrote this. And that's number four. Don't claim Social Security at the wrong time. When you get your Social Security statement for the vast, the, my entire investment career, I can remember, it's this paper green statement with, it's white with green writing, green and black writing. It's very distinct way they put it together. And it's really almost all text and there's some tables, but it doesn't do an amazing job at talking about what you're going to get at different ages, i.e. if you wait longer to claim Social Security. Fortunately, the new Social Security system and the new statement that you can get in the mail should be every year. But the reality is you can log on today and go to ssa.gov like I just did right before this show to get a brand new up-to-date version of your social security. So one, it's so not hard. You think of a government agency logging in, they're checking your identity. It seems like something, it's like, is it going to the DMV? No, it is login to ssa.gov. Works particularly well if you have an id.me, which is a secure way to be able to log into some of these government-oriented websites. So in full disclosure, I do, I've used the ID. Dot me, so maybe that made it a little easier, but I re remember even setting that up. That wasn't that hard. So you go to ssa.gov, the Social Security Administration, and once you pull this up, that you can download your new statement, but there's also interactive tools that make it really clear about how much you would get at certain ages. And we most of us know that the longer we wait, once we hit our age 62, the higher the payment gets. But for some reason... The new statement does an amazing job at showing that visually. And there's nothing like a good old fashioned bar chart to show you how much money you would receive at different ages. And yes, we know that if every year you wait, it goes up by 7.1% per year. And if you wait even beyond your full retirement age, it goes up slightly more per year beyond that. But to see it in chart form is a huge improvement from the way it used to be. Now, it's been a couple of years since I've logged into this, but it's a really clear guide now. But the moral of the story is that once we put in our 40 working quarters and we're eligible for Social Security, they're going to make some assumptions on you continuing to make a similar amount of money and it's going to show you how much you're going to get at your full retirement age. Mine's 67. Now, Wes, I do have to ask, because I feel like you can't bring up Social Security without somebody wondering if it'll be around for them. I know this is a question and, and something that you get a lot, but also that you have a pretty specific stance on. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely, there's lots of talk that the Social Security Trust Fund is going to run down to zero by the year 2023. If that happens, it's still, it's it's a terrible thing that could happen. But the reality here is that the money coming in every paycheck that comes out of all every working person's paycheck and goes into the social security administration would still cover about 70, 75% of what your social security would have been. So there's this thought of social security quote running out. Well, that's somewhat true. The trust fund could run out, but that doesn't mean that you are going to run out of social security. It could be dinged by 25% or more. But I also doubt that's going to happen anytime soon. And I also think if you're over the age of 50, that's a population that will not get impacted. Could somebody who's 25 today, by the time they're 70, could Social Security run into a problem? Sure. But I think that's a long way off because there's 
an awful lot of road signs and roadblocks that the train would have to run through to not fix the system. It's pretty simple math. That makes me feel way better. I just know we hear that question a lot. Well, didn't you have a group of friends over the holidays that was... That- yes, yeah. I feel like you can't bring up Social Security without somebody saying immediately, like, you know, oh, I'm not counting on oh, it. Oh, it's not going to be there. I'm exactly. not counting on it. I just had a review with a family I've worked with for a long time, and they don't never thought of Social Security as a whole lot of money or a big deal for them. But with the cost of living increases and and think if you're married, you've got Social Security and then your spouse will have some level of Social Security. Their Social Security is $50,000 a year with the new COLA bump up. And it can be higher than that. So it's not insignificant. Now, we don't want to necessarily rely on only Social Security, but I think it's too big of a variable to ignore. Now, the crux of this is when do you claim it? Don't claim it at the wrong time. And there's no perfect answer here, but if I had to make a a blanket overview, I think that for the most part, taking Social Security early at 62 is a mistake and particularly a mistake if you're continuing to work because your Social Security payment will get dinged significantly if you're working and you haven't reached your full retirement age, in my case, 67. So if I started taking Social Security at 62 and was still working, my Social Security payment would get penalized by what I'm earning over a certain amount. And it's a pretty low threshold. But if I wait all the way to age 70, and sure, the numbers go up pretty significantly, then I've now left eight years worth of social security payments on the table that I haven't received. Now, yes, at age 70, it's a much bigger number. But I've left eight full years of payments, not in my bank account. So there's clearly a question about breaking even. How long will it take to break even? And the math works, again, it's just math, that it will take about 12 or 13 years for you to break even, meaning make up all the money that you left on the table if you wait to age 70. In fact, I just did the math on my own Social Security, and I look at my age 67 amount, I multiply it by three, then I take my new higher amount that I could receive at age 70. Remember, I hadn't gotten anything yet but it's a higher number. And I look at the difference between my age 70 and monthly amount and what I would have locked in if I had started at age 67. So you take the difference of that and you divide it into the amount of money that you have not received yet. And the math works to write it about 12 and a half years. This is definitely one of those things where the financial planning comes into play with retirement planning because it's not investing, it's, it's planning. Here's one reason why you maybe would want to wait. First of all, if you are working, you really don't need the money. You are getting a nice quote. You can call it a guaranteed return. There is no such thing as a guarantee, but it's a return where your payments are automatically going up by about seven or 8% per year. As long as you're not taking the money, then that new higher payment will have to make up for the money left on the table. Now, One of the real considerations of waiting, why would you maybe wait to age 71 if you really don't need the money and you'd like to lock in a higher payment? But two, if you're thinking about your spouse and your spouse has a much lower payment, maybe it's only half of your payment. If you pass away, your spouse will get, if your payment's higher, it'll jump all the way up to what your payment is. So sometimes when you're thinking about longevity between you and your spouse, that also goes into the calculation. So there's a lot of variables here. Should you wait all the way till age 70? Not necessarily. 
But for earlier retirees, let's say you retire before you even get to age 62, you're really going to want to factor in your own longevity expectations and your spouse and then your overall tax situation to see if it makes sense to start taking social as early as age 62. So there's no perfect answer here. And that's the point of this tip is to, while you're doing your financial planning, bake in those different options to see what makes sense for you the most. Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com. Since we're here, I'm going to skip right to number five because I love this one too, even oh. though I wasn't planning on this. Don't spend too much. And this is way lighter than Social Security, Mallory. Oh, good. Don't spend too much on your kids. Oh, whoa now. Hang on. Or your grandkids. What? I don't. Here's the deal. Happy retirees have independent children or likely, more likely have independent children. And through our research in determining some of the financial habits of happy retirees versus unhappy it's actually unhappy retirees that have a much higher level of monthly financial support for their adult children. Let's call it on average, the unhappy retirees spend $750 a month supporting their adult kids. Happy retiree spends less than 500 bucks per month. Now, how about that phone bill though? Because I'm going to be honest, that family plan is like Real clutch sometimes. Well, let me ask you this. What, approximately, what is your phone bill? How, how big of a, a payment is that? Uh, all right, let me see. If I was... For just just Mallory. For just me. I think I spend $90 a month. All right, so let's call it 100 bucks a month. Yeah. I think the family plan on phones is still okay. I think it's fine. It's really when we get... And, and let's... And again, remember, these are average numbers. So I think where those numbers come from is when parents slash grandparents are paying for big things lifestyle things like a school that you may not be able to afford for your own kids. Maybe it's a car payment, which who wants their parents paying for their car payment once you're an adult? That's just that strange. Does sound sad. And helping with mortgage payments. That means that maybe you, this, the bought adult child house. bought too much house, didn't have enough savings. So now parents are stepping in. That's not great in a lot of ways. Mm. I think it creates some family uncomfortability mm. And it impacts the happiness of the parent. That's fair. So what this research shows me is not necessarily, these aren't necessarily parenting skills. It's just a reiteration that we want our children to be financially independent as soon as they can be. That doesn't mean you got to kick them out of the house at 18 and say, oh, pay for college and everything. But I think it means that by the time they're in their early to mid twenties, they should really be earning enough to support their own lifestyle. Now, here's a real question: Have you seen Gilmore Girls? Because there's a whole I, thing with that. No, with I, I, you know, I see the You know where I see Gilmore Girls? Hmm. Uh, I don't. I've never really watched. I've never watched the show, or if I have watched it, I probably would admit to it. Uh, the <laughs> but I do That's see fair. Gil is Gilmore Girls is currently advertised right now on Netflix. All the yeah, time. Yeah, I think so. It's a very or is like, it, is cozy there, show. Is there a 
there's what's the other show I'm thinking about? So there's Gilmore Girls and then there's Gossip Girl. Oh yeah, I think it's yes. Gossip Girls being advertised. That or makes is there, sense. Well, I think they've got Gossip Girl on HBO now. They got like a new. They that's rebooted what it, is. it. Yeah, yeah. But so, honestly, same same kind of thing. Well, it it's, is. it's not it's not the same kind of show, but it's like it both like from the same time period. But the whole thing with Gilmore Girls is just the all right. Whole what's yeah? Basically, I'm saying, what's your point over here? <laughs> Let's get back to As that. Marissa over here on the she on looks so confused. Our engineer, our sound engineer is kind of tilting her head too. Say, what do you mean? Wait, Gossip Girls and Gilmore Girls are the same? Is that I true? had a point. I had a point. Well, actually, okay. you know what's funny? Gossip Girl is kind of similar too. So the whole premise of Gilmore Girls is that the grandparents end up paying for the granddaughter's private school education. Oh, that's like, and they have to like come up with a whole arrangement, and it gets kind of it's tense and it creates some weird family dynamics. But they had some to begin with, to be fair. Now, Gossip Girl, actually, funny enough though, too, it's about like some privileged kids in New York who like spend a boatload of their parents' Living money on their parents' too. money. Well, so. it's a triangulation of parental money making, paying for their kids and paying for their kids well into when they should be paying for themselves. It's not the phone bill. <laughs> Makes your phone bill look like no big deal. Ugh. 90 bucks, all right. <laughs> all right, Mallory, number 19, multiple streams of income, the RID, R-I-D-D. Oh, I think we used to say how to get rid of your paycheck. How to get rid of your paycheck. It would be rent, interest, dividends, and distributions. Meaning the, it really, you're creating a brand new paycheck. Yeah. And this, right, it was how do you get rid of your nine to five job? You have to be able to have enough in your savings to then create multiple streams of income. Hopefully you're getting interest and you're getting dividends and getting distributions. And maybe you own some rental properties and you're getting some rental income. Very fun. What is that? And uh, that all feeds into our income investing that we love so much, right? Income investing gives me, lets me sleep better at night mm -hmm. knowing that I have many, many pieces of the equation, many soldiers in the fight when it comes to helping pay the bills. Now, one letter you could add to the acronym would be some sort of part-time work. Some, some sort of part-time work, and that's very common for early retirees to continue to do something and have consulting income or even just part-time work income. In the year 2023, that has widely become known as a side hustle. Oh, everybody loves that side 29 hustle. 29-year-old lives in a school bus and makes $100,000 per month from her side hustle. We've all seen these articles and you're all wondering, wait a minute, why is it my side hustle a million dollars a month living in a school bus working three hours a week. Mallory, are you at that point yet? I wish. I wish. I'm working towards it. Working towards it. I want that van down by the river. Well, or just a school bus. But you're going to need some tattoos for that and make it look like you really don't have to work. Exactly. I need to like get a dye my hair pink, I think. Here's the reality of these side hustles is that there there are certainly real life stories of people that got in early on some sort of social media and they did really well and they created an online video or online school and tutoring and they really do have great passive income. They've been great tutors and teachers and and they can really work very little that now they've produced something that's just totally repeatable. It's almost like the software industry. Once you write the software, you can distribute to as many computers as you want. It costs it doesn't cost any more to write that software. It's already been done. Once you've created one of these online programs, and that's why you see these articles about people who have side hustles that don't work a lot. Almost every time I've ever seen that, it's somebody who's created some sort of course that almost lives on its own. 
or someone that ha- travels the world is almost an influencer that they say they're not really working, but they're really generating money from their online profile or their traffic, et cetera. Well, as somebody who likes to take pictures, um, I do think that there's a lot of work that goes into that, but um, I'm grateful to not be one of them. <laughs> That's true. But, but it does that. Remember, we interviewed the couple that went on the honeymoon. Honey Trek. Honey Trek, and they, they stayed on a honeymoon. And they didn't have a ton of money. It's like they started with their wedding money. And my first question was, and they've been on now honeymoon for quote, 10 years, right? My initial thought was, well, maybe they got a a million dollars for their honeymoon gift. In in reality, they got something like 30 or 40,000. And instead of having a super expensive wedding, they use that to go travel. And then once they started to travel, they figured out a way to do it for an extremely low cost by call it room sharing or couch surfing, which are a lot of different websites that'll do that now or help you do that. But it's their journalism around it, their photography, their videos, their social media, their blog, and all the things they did to document that was popular enough or still is popular enough to generate enough eyeballs that really does pay them to continue on this endless honeymoon. I think that that's such a cool thing. But I also know that's not the only way that some of the people that listen are doing side hustles or, or passive income. It's, it's, I would say it's the most romanticized way to do it in, let's call it, in real life. Uh, yes, that happens. But what I see people doing is typically going back to their current skill set. So you're some sort of engineer or some sort of programmer or some sort of sales executive or some something something that you're already really good at. You end up doing that in a more limited capacity for a much lower pressure job, or you start your own company and you really do that. Maybe you, it's got to be your own company to call it a side hustle. Is that what your gen? Is that what your young generation calls it? Does it have to be yours if it's a side hustle? Can you go work for somebody else and call it a side hustle? You know, now like, we're see- getting the technicalities. Okay, I am not sure. Sorry, but let me ask too, though, because I also know that that's not the only way that you've had. You've worked with some cool folks before who have had some interesting side hustles, like selling knives. <laughs> Sell selling knives. <laughs> I don't remember anyone selling knives, uh, but um, I do. You're, you're making me think of like one of those Ginsu knife commercials. Um, I, I guess being a part-time infomercial host could be a, a part-time side hobby, side hustle. It's, it's a cross with the, um, with the influencer stuff that we were talking about. Just uh, more of like, here's, here's what you're thinking. There is a family that I've worked with that has this very unique craft of taking all sorts of different objects and making them into handles and then putting on custom razors. So think of it, they're custom razors. So that think of, you know, the bar, the, 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 the barber, the blue and the red and the, the, the blue, oh. red and white swivel Yeah, yeah in a like, traditional barber shop. Yeah. And like it sits outside and spins. It sits outside, right? Yes. Th- imagine that to be just a, t- a miniature, miniature version of that, but that's the handle of your razor. Oh, that's so cool. Think about something cool like that. Okay. So that's what you're thinking, not yes. knives, but custom razors. So think about this. There's so many different things over the years I can think of that retirees do for side hustles, hobbies. They also give some income. Think pet sitting, house sitting, dog walking. Such a There's a, there's a lot of need for that. I've had folks that do costume design, oh, like fun. make these elaborate costumes. 
Uh, bookkeeping, kind of the opposite of making costumes, but there's so much demands still to this day for, for bookkeeping. Teaching, huge, huge umbrella of all different things. If you have a skill to to teach, whether it's gardening or music or still math or science or reading, it still can be that. I've had people that will enter into fishing contests and, oh. and make real money doing that. Wow. Uh, I think that sounds like a really tough one, but this is just coming from real life. These are real life examples. Of course, an, an Etsy store eats Etsy. Etsy, Etsy an store. An Etsy yeah, store. Love so Etsy. any sort of craft you make, you yeah. can now really easily sell an Etsy. Photography, you could rent out. We could be renting out either just a room or a second, some sort of second home on your property. It could be real estate agent in a, in a second act career, part-time gigging musician, get oh, paid to play music. That would be cool. Never uh, too old to be a rock and roll star. The, uh, the it, it, I feel like it right now. Maybe <laughs> I feel too old for that. Ho- um, holiday wreaths. Oh, yeah. So I, someone that a family I've worked with started this just on Christmas, and then it, it ended up being taking over their entire basement and being almost a year-round for the different holidays, providing decorations for a lot of the different seasons and holidays. And they get, and they make a lot of money doing it. So it's almost an endless list. It's whatever you have a craft type passion for or a niche type passion for could end up making some money and be, and be fun. Oh, that's awesome. All right, back to 101 retirement tips to retire even sooner. We're certainly not doing all 101. We've done several already. Let's do number 22, which is a focus on, if I go to number 22 here, number 22 on the list is Mallory, producer Mallory. (laughs) You can hear the papers rustling as we're we're flipping through all of this. Fill time with three to four core pursuits. This one is, of course, awesome and... That is, it's it's a fun one, but it's really hard for some people. And that's trying to find a hobby on steroids that can be a big part of retirement. Now, the statistics behind this, I've talked about many times on the show, very simply are happy retirees average 3.6 core pursuits or almost four, unhappy retirees 1.9 or less than two. Two versus four, it's a big difference. It really is a matter of how many you have. You want several different hobbies on steroids. It doesn't really matter what they are. Absolutely not. Are you sure? Because I feel like some of the ones that we have seen that you got to be careful of, it's like work. If work's your hobby, you got to be kind of careful. That one is, does it, that's it. That's one that's kind of in the gray area, but you can't count your work full-time working as a core pursuit unless you're one of the very few people in America, the small percentage of people in America that do love work so much that it's just, you have, you, you'll do it until you die just because you totally love it. And then watching TV. I think that's another one that we've said, like, you got to be kind of cautious with. Right. I don't see that show up on the happy retiree list. I think hunting and fishing showed up as hobbies on the unhappy retiree oh, yeah, list. Yeah. Again, a lot of people disagree with that. Ooh, and a yeah. lot of, I, I know some hunters now and oh my gosh, they are very passionate and really love it. So yeah. And they, I've gotten called out on that several times. What do you mean? Hunting is on the, <laughs> is on the unhappy retiree list. Reading. It was on the unhappy retirement oh, I list. I so disagree with that. I am a huge reader. Yeah. I love reading. I can't. I can't. So I don't know if any of them are yes or no when it comes to, or I don't know if there's a, there's, I still don't think there's a perfect core pursuit, but I would also say that it's something that you really can spend a lot of time in, continue. It's 
complex enough, whether that be socially complex, meaning it involves a lot of people, or it's something that can just really keep you captivated and curious to get better and better. And there are all sorts of sports that do that. So tennis, you can always want to get better with that. Pickleball, probably an amazing combination of... Yeah, everybody's talking about pickleball these days. Lots of people and and some athleticism, a lot of socialization. I have a client out in California where I've, I've written about pickleball now a lot in the last several years, and they'd never done it, never done it. And relatively new retirees and really focused in for that first year on trying to develop a lot of new stuff, a lot of new things to do. And one of them was pickleball. And I just talked to them about this and they have fallen into the magic Alice in Wonderland pickleball nirvana. Like they just love, they love it. And they started out with a a friend of theirs lived right near a pickleball court, invited them to play. They played an afternoon. That's fun. And then back where they live, there's a, pickleball facility close by they signed up for a league and now they have i think over the holidays recently they had 15 people they had a like a 15 person pickleball party that went to that local park they played and then they came over for the holidays so it's been great for them from a socialization perspective that's and and they kept talking about how much they laugh doing it it's really a fun thing it's not like an intense can be pretty intense but it's i'd say it errs to the side of a little less serious and a little more fun. So so for somebody who's athletically challenged like myself, it's a good option? Yeah, I think that you, if you can play ping pong, you can play pickleball. Okay, okay. You don't have to be Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer. Th- those are tennis, tennis players. players. I do know uh, that. They, I do know that. <laughs> they, to, to be able to play pickleball. So again, it can be anything, but I would, I would err towards more social oriented core pursuits volunteering is the the number one for happy retirees and that can go into so many again so many different categories very social because you're typically with lots of people you're giving back you have a sense of purpose you think about tennis pickleball golf very social you have to have four people to do it typically tennis doubles gotta have four people to do it so these are active pursuits that you can do over and over and over again get better at, at over time and they lend themselves to socialization and adventure, right? You can go golf all over the world. You can play tennis all over the world. You can play pickleball all over the world. So I like that too as a sense of adventure and travel, which is another highly ranked core pursuit for happy retirees. So core pursuits are fun. They should be fun. You should really want to be doing them. One of mine is snowboarding. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about that in this episode, but... Uh, we did. I think we did earlier this month. Yeah. But one of mine later in life was snowboarding. I've gotten now my kids to do it. They still have a long way to go. But it's not easy to pick these things up, right? It's hard to pick up golf later in life. Lynn, my wife, she tried to learn to snowboard after she skied for 30 plus years. It was really hard for her to snowboard because it's hard, she just wanted to go back to skiing. And I, I don't blame her. So after a day and a half, she was like, I'm not going to do this for, I'm not going to struggle with this for four or five days. Like that's the whole trip. I'm gonna... So it's hard to do new things when you're already kind of good at something else too. So the advice there and what I've learned over these years, Mallory, is that we always have to be open to doing something new. We want to do them sooner rather than wait until we're in retirement and they'll say, okay, I'm going to go find five core pursuits. We want to cultivate them as early as possible. And I think just like saving money earlier is better because your early 
efforts compound upon themselves and and makes accumulating money easier. It's a similar phenomenon when it comes to really focus. First of all, giving yourself permission to focus on these things and not feeling like, well, I got to work, work, work. And I, I don't have time to, to, to frivolously indulge myself in core pursuits. No, you, you really have to. So it, it, you should give yourself permission to do that and then cultivate those items in a way that they can compound on themselves. Just like when you save early, when you start these activities younger, you have more opportunity to meet more people to do it, more opportunity to get engaged in these activities, which makes them more fun and makes them more social. And I think that's why it's great to start out as early as possible. It just sounds like a more fulfilling life. Right. And why not go over the course of why wait until you're 60 to start all these corporations? Why not do them now? Yeah. Tomorrow's not promised. So, okay. So we're, let's keep going. Is that enough on core pursuits here, Mallory? I think that's enough. I, on top of that, we've got several podcasts, I think, that are dedicated specifically to core pursuits. So I think if anybody uh, want, has questions about it, I would definitely check out some of our previous episodes. How about, there's so many here because it's actually 101. We're <laughs> obviously not doing 101. Why don't we go to 63? Ooh. Number 63. All right. It's in the pension and retirement package section. Uh, we get a lot of questions about pension. I think this will be a good one to share. Determine if your pension passes the 6% test. Now, this is for anybody, and this really apply. this is the math of whether you'd rather taking, it's kind of the lottery math, right? The lot, You win oh, the lottery. It's yeah. like, hey, we'll give you a billion dollars <laughs> or we will give you $5 million a month. Ooh. It is exciting to think about, but let's- Go back to more just real life. And we see this all the time. So a, a big company may have lots of people in any given year. Think Coca-Cola, think AT&T. They've worked there for a very long period of time. Once they retire, they've got to make a decision on taking their pension out in a lump sum or a monthly amount. And that's a hard choice because it's usually a big chunk of money or an amount that can be significant every single month, but then you have to start thinking about longevity. How long am I going to really get this? If I lived them a hundred, maybe the monthly is a really good deal. If I pass away in five years, I, maybe I left a lot of that money on the table. I could have taken it as a lump sum. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but we've got to have some sort of decision-making process. And we call this the 6% test. So number 63 in the in our 101 guide here, 101 guide, is to make sure you're making a pension decision, whether you take a monthly amount or you take a lump sum, use the 6% test to figure out the right answer. Do you want to walk through an example? I mean, if we want to go with a billion dollars versus 500 million a month or 5 million, no, Yes, five million was it? Five million a month. Five million a month. Yeah, that that we can work with those numbers, right? I mean, I don't. Which do I choose? Here's real life. This is one that I'll. This is I've seen this many a time. Would you take a thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life, or a lump sum of one hundred sixty thousand? Oh, what do you do? So here, I think on the surface, a thousand a month doesn't sound like a lot, and one hundred sixty does. So just. Maybe your gut right out of the gate says, ah, oh, take the 160. But let's do the math. 1,000 a month is really 12,000 a year. 12,000 a year divided by the lump sum, and this is how we do the 6% test, is 7.5%. That's a, that's a healthy annual number 
that essentially you are, the company is saying that they're going to give you for as long as you live. That's a pretty good number for someone to kind of lock in for you. Now, there's the worry that a company could go bankrupt and the pension could go under. But we've got the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, which will insure pensions up to 50 plus thousand dollars per year. So in this particular case, because seven and a half percent is well above six, the six percent is this line in the sand. Mm. If it's above six percent, you could start thinking about taking the monthly amount because it starts to mathematically be a pretty good deal. If the math works out to be seven and a half or eight percent, you really may want to consider taking the monthly because in the long run, you may be better off. Okay. If it's 6% or below, if we do this math, then it's almost a no-brainer to just take the cash. Huh. Roll it directly into an IRA. Typically, if you do that, you're not going to have to worry about taxes if you do it as a direct rollover. Now, let's look at another example, Mallory. Two grand a month or $24,000 a year for life or 440000 all right, we're getting back to the math stuff. I don't know. It all sounds good to me. <laughs> so you take the 24000 your annual amount, divided by what the lump sum would be, and you get 5.4%. Oh. So you're under the 6% line. You really want to just take the, typically want to just take the lump sum. It's, yeah. it's bird in hand, the money, you have it today. So think about rates of return here for a minute. You're leaving money on the table. Well, you could take 5% from your own money for 20 years and before it runs out, even at, at a 0% return, right? 100 divided by 20 years is 5%. So if a company is really only, if the monthly amount is only worth 5.4%, they're essentially saying, hey, we're, we're gonna give you your money back slowly over time and give you a tiny little bit of return. And that doesn't sound like it's in your best interest. Now you could say, you could make the case that if let's say that amount has a spousal benefit and there's not a big penalty to take the monthly amount as a spousal benefit and your spouse is younger and you've got plenty of other assets, for some people, they like the pension to be an additional stream of income. Ah, that makes sense too. So it's not a completely black and white decision because we've got to think of all the different other variables. But in order to not, let's put it this way, in order to not, take the lump sum. The math on the monthly amount needs to be at least 6%, arguably higher than 6% of the lump sum that you're leaving on the table in order to take a monthly amount. Otherwise, probably better off taking the burden in hand and investing it for yourself, generate income, instead of letting the company pension plan pay you over time, pay yourself. Whew. That was a lot of math, but that was great. I feel like I learned a lot. A lot of math. Um, all right. So 101 retirement tips to help you retire sooner, hopefully. That's our goal here on the Retire Sooner podcast. We've gone through five or six different ones. We could do 100 now. It would take me days to do that. So this is just a good preview. You can find it. Actually, Mallory, you already said it's on the website. It's on westmoss.com under what? The tools under, section? Under the tools tab. So super easy to find. And I think we would love for anybody who's listening to go download this and let us know what you find helpful. It's a free resource. Um, and so we're just trying to make sure we get everybody off on the right foot in 2023. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. And thank you again for tuning in to the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you.
Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.